0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I'm delighted you decided to spend some more time with us here as we're sharing our creative and inspiring learning from around the world, both within the school system through teachers and head teachers who are making such a big difference on a daily basis to children in their classes, but also interviewing inspirational people from around the world who are sharing their education background and the resources and their skills that they've learnt. They were able to support children moving forward to live life on their terms and following their passions. If you'd like to find out more about what we're doing, please do go to our Patreon page where you can support the show and join our campfire of elders who are getting together to plan new material that we can actually gift to the children in our lives to really support them moving forward. Just go and visit patreon.com forward slash education on fire. That's p a t r e o n.com forward slash education on fire. Look forward to seeing you there. Today I'm joined by Leslie Moffat and she's from Empowered Music Educator Academy and has a fantastic book called I Love My Job But It's Killing Me which I think many of us will be able to really identify in terms of the amount of effort we put into our teaching and the world that we live in. And, and to hear her story and be able to share that with you, I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Can we start with a little bit of, of just general background? Where Whereabouts do you live? Whereabouts do you work? And, um, and how did you get into this sort of music education world? Well,
1: I live in Seattle, Washington, so out here in the States. And i um, I've been teaching high school band for 32 years. It is the only thing I've ever, ever imagined myself doing because I grew up the daughter of a high school band director. So my entire life was following the high school band around and being part of that program and traveling with them on the trips. And I always knew I was going to grow up. I was going to teach high school band and I wanted my own children in my program and in our, you know, because we would live in the community. And I have done that and I have had the most incredible um, three plus decades as a music educator who's living in the community where I teach and um, it's been just an amazing uh, experience
0: it's amazing when you have that kind of like say so you sort of you almost born into the world that you develop into <laughs> and, I, and I, I really like that because my my musical world was very different my parents really weren't musical at all and I had that sense of you know what you do as you get older and my dad was a, a motor mechanic and I, I sort of knew from an early age of sort of going and sharing some time with him that actually this really wasn't what I wanted to do. And so it was only through my sort of mm-hmm. chance when I was older and actually having the experience of learning an instrument at school that it really became important for me that I knew actually this was the the thing that was going to make a difference to me. And music was the thing that really, I sort of found my voice. I felt like I was talking to the world in a way that I knew. And I guess that's the, that's the gift that you're giving all these people that are part of your program. Yeah, it, uh, so
1: many people have a hard time you know, either expressing themselves or understanding the world, and music is that beautiful language we have that helps us make sense of some other stuff that can be crazy. And the opportunity to work with other people and and do something bigger together than we could ever do by ourselves, and it, it's so unifying. And, and to spend every day with hundreds of teenagers making music and watching them develop and grow, and and all of that is is pretty is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And I I certainly remember through my school days going through all of those things that actually when you sort of get to the end of of your time there for, for us, we were sort of 17, 18 as we were finishing secondary school before going off to university and college and all that kind of thing. You really have a deep sense that you've, you know, you've made connections that not only have impacted you personally but friendships which last, you know a lifetime sometimes and and the teachers they were involved in and people like yourself that are actually the the integral part and 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 the the steadiness that goes through generation after generation Um, I think you, you can't quantify that but you know it's a really important part of life going forward much more than just the musical things that you've learned.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I, the relationships that are developed when you have kids day after day, year after year. I mean, as a music teacher, we get to impact people perhaps more than any other folks on this planet practically because we we get that time with the kids. And it's just such a unique opportunity. And I have found that I've built friendships with the students and their parents because of all the work we do together to raise money and to travel and the extra help they give. And so long after kids have graduated, we stay connected. I go to weddings. I hold their babies we we just we've developed more than just you know these kids coming and playing songs it's a unique experience i think to be a music educator and to get to to change lives through music education you know it um the music does a lot of the work for us and then and then we get to facilitate the growth and and all of that but it becomes a way of life and i think that that my title of my book i love my job but it's killing me i loved it so much i still do i guess the word obsession is is appropriate to say it became an obsession for me to develop those relationships in a program where kids had a place to be, no matter what was going on in their personal lives or or the struggles that they were dealing with and the like. So it is definitely more than just a job. It's a way of life, and it's an amazing way of life. But it also is one that can suck all your energy if you're not careful to keep it in balance and in check. And I I had to learn some lessons the hard way about
0: that. Yeah. So let's dive, dive into that. What, what is the story behind that? And, and also I'm, I'm interested to, to hear exactly how having been through that and the lessons that you've learned, why, why you felt that actually writing the book um, was, was an integral part of that? Was it sort of part of the, the journey and, and maybe some sort of therapeutic idea of doing it or you just wanted to share that message to support other people? Just take us through that story a little bit.
1: Well, starting probably about the fifth or sixth year of my teaching career, um, when I started having my own children and building pro- a program and, and wanting to you know, build up a program you know, size-wise and, and its involvement in our community and school, it became... Um, all-encompassing and and I was working you know the zero period class at our jazz band started at 6:30 it starts at 6:30 every single morning then teaching a full day raising my own kids and then going back to school in the evenings for concerts and fundraisers and meetings and um, booster groups and basketball games where the band was playing and all the extra trips and and um it was really really I didn't realize it at the time it was wearing me down and it was just taking so much energy that my body would start to, to break down. And, and in the moment, of course, I'd be so busy. Like I'd go to my doctor and I'd say, I'm coming down with something. You know, I can't take sick days because I have this coming up or that coming up. And so I'd be prescribed some medication and then I'd go back for some other reason. That was something else that was a problem, but I didn't have time to really take care of the root cause. So I'd get more pills and pretty soon I was on pills to help me with attention deficit disorder, anxiety, Depression to help me go to sleep, to help me stay asleep, to keep my legs from kicking all night. Medicine for inflammation, pain medication galore. It was terrible, but that's how I was functioning. And in the meantime, I was still hurting all the time. I still couldn't focus. I was depressed underneath all of it, even though I loved what I was doing. I just felt anxious all the time, like I could never get it done. I was over 200 pounds, which is about 65 pounds heavier than I am now, um, because I wasn't able to. You know, my body wasn't feeling good. Everything hurt all the time, in spite of all the pain pills, and yet I was trying to just keep going and going. And a couple of years ago, my my best friend Lori, who teaches was uh, a music teacher at another school in our district, called me up, and I, I remember pulling my car over to the side of the road because I was the uh, call while I was driving, and I had to pull over because I started crying so hard. And she t- started telling me that she had stage four ovarian cancer, and for the next two years, I watched her bravely fight. Uh, she lost her battle a little over a year ago. And we'd sit there at her chemo appointments, or when we'd be in her living room, when um, i would go visit her, and she, we'd talk about how much we loved our job, but the sheer stress of all of it was taking its toll, and it, and it was manifesting in physical ailments that were making us sicker and sicker. She, unfortunately, didn't have a chance. I never got the point to go into remission and turn things around. Um, but a couple of years ago, I hit my rock bottom to the point where I missed a couple of months of school and couldn't hardly leave my house. I had just, I had nothing left to give anymore. And I knew I was gonna follow down Lori's um, path if I didn't do something different. So I, I started looking at other options besides going back to my regular doctor and taking more pills. It was, I couldn't keep taking these pills. It was wreaking havoc and the side effects were terrible and nothing was getting better. So I had to do a lot of different things that um, involved uh, going, coming off of medication and learning how to cope with ADHD without being medicated because I needed to be able to do those things. And so it's, it was a long journey. But once I learned what to do and started turning my life around and over the course of several months started weaning off of all the medications, the weight started coming off, I started feeling better. I was doing some different things. And Lori said to me, Leslie, whatever you're doing write it down and tell other people, don't let them die like I am. And I was staying with her one weekend because her husband was out of town and she could no longer be at home at night. She needed too much care. So that night when she was sleeping, um, I was on my computer and an ad came up for a woman named Angela Loria who runs the author incubator. And I thought, there's some serendipity. Lori and I have been talking about this and I see this ad and it can't be coincidence. So I sent an application in, and 90 days later, my book was done. It was the message. It was waiting to be told to other people so that folks don't have to go through what Lori went through.
0: And I think the thing that strikes me the most in those scenarios is that I think a lot of people... When they are in a place, either whether they they they've got to the point where they they're sick, or that they're really sort of like you say, sort of rock bottom, or knowing that you're on a spiral which isn't serving you, but you don't quite know how to come out, it's very easy to feel like there's something wrong that you can't fix, or there, or actually it shouldn't be like that. I, I I I just think what what comes across speaking to you now is the fact that having not gone through that or had that experience, or even the pain of losing somebody. The the beauty that comes out of it and, and the, the real sort of inner knowledge, like you say, that you want to share that message and you can make a difference not just to your life, to other people's lives. I mean, that's such a wonderful thing to have happened.
1: Yeah. You know, my doctor used to say, well, Leslie, it's just stress. And I'd hear the word just and I would think, well, that must mean it's not a big deal or I should be able to handle it. But what I learned and I think, you know, teachers are stubborn people because we are looked to, to always have the answers for our students, right? We're supposed to solve everything. We should, at least that's what I always feel felt like that I should have the answers to this. I'm supposed to help other people. And what the hardest lesson, the most humbling lesson was that I needed other people's help. I needed people who could look at my situation, not through my heart. Like I was always doing and thinking right now in this moment, the best thing I can do for the kids is this When Maybe, you know, giving, more and more of myself to them and having what I was giving them being more diluted because I was trying to do too much stuff instead of the right things that would really help them grow and allow me to not be so overwhelmed. I had to learn that balance and it took a village. It took a natural path. It took a counselor that I talked to about how, how to set boundaries and it took chiropractors and yoga practice and all of these other things I had to do to literally change the habits I had, change Um, my thought processes, and it changed my body physically. I don't take any of the pills I took anymore. I don't take any prescription drugs anymore, but I have no pain, so I have no need to take pain pills. I've learned techniques that have allowed me to no longer have attention deficit disorder to the point where I can't function unless I'm medicated because I've learned techniques to help me function better. Um, I've had to learn to manage my life differently, and it has physically changed my body and physiologically changed it. I learned better. I was always a good musician, um, but I read everything and it was like, um, I was very intellectual about my music. And now I'm learning to become more intuitive with it. As I've literally become more in tune with my own body, I can tap into the things I learned and use them in a different way. I'm learning to play music by ear at the age of 54. I never trusted my ears before, but I've literally um, taken this process of healing my body and, and it's done more than that. And what I've learned. I am now taking into my classroom with my students some of the very skills I learned that helped me change. And I modeled, my students have watched me transform. Um, I mean, if you saw my before and after pictures, you know, you could see the physical stuff that they, so they see that, but they also have watched me go from frantic and missing lots of school to being, you know, much calmer, being present every day because I'm not out sick because I don't need to be. Um, and I've modeled that for my students and taught them a lot of those skills because I believe that, Our students these days are so overstimulated. I don't know about you guys, but we're handing kids tablets and devices, electronic devices. So they're, you know, like they've got their phones already and now all of this. And um, our kids are overstimulated. And I think that's why they they are exhibiting the same signs of anxiety and depression and attention deficit disorder that the adults, we teachers are. Because, it's you know, they see what we're going through and doing and overpack our schedules. And so that's what we model for them and it's not helping them be healthy young kids so i think we have a systemic issue going on
0: yeah absolutely and I, and i think i think the modeling thing i think is incredibly important because it's It's that I think that connects people in a way which just words and preaching and telling does we we know that 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 doesn't help it it really doesn't it doesn't make that impact until they feel it and I think they feel it when they connect with mm-hmm. you and they connect with you when you're like you say your best version of yourself, and that's essentially what we're trying to do for our students is to, is to enable them yeah. to be that as well and we need to we need to show them and model what that is, even when the system or whatever it is that they're going through is tough giving them the skills and the understanding and the knowledge, like you say, that it can be a different way, even if a lot of people are telling you different, just having those insights is going to change their life forever.
1: Yeah, I believe that's the magic of music education. We we teach them how to be amazing, wonderful people who can function in the world through what we do in music education. That's just the vehicle.
0: Absolutely. So take us through your book in terms of of how it's structured and how it goes through is it purely just a dialogue of your journey is is it how how exactly is it put together
1: well what it is it's the beginning of it is my journey it tells you know a little bit about where i came from and why i wrote this book and what inspired me to do it and then what i did is is i've created what i call my m power method the letter m because there are four components to what i teach people to do to make that transformation that begins for you as a human being in an individual and then it carries into your classroom and so the four components of that are music meals movement in a mindful setting so being learning to be mindful of the choices we make about our music meals and movement because those are the components that allow me to change every aspect of my life um that i was struggling with and so through this as a teacher you know how it's going to be i'm going to assign homework so um, each of these chapters teaches a lesson And then there's some homework that allows the reader to go through and take what what I've talked about in there. And then what does that look like in their life? I ask a few questions to assess where they are, get some clarity on that, and decide what kind of commitment they want to make to moving forward, if there are any changes in any of these categories. There are some little quizzes they go through that, that help identify their biggest barriers so that we can find the simplest tools to help them reach their goals. My narrative at the beginning... So people can understand then the steps that I take them through, and then uh, to give them their a way to to see how their own life can move forward in this way. So it's kind of a lesson plan for teachers, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think that's um, it's it's, it's a great modelling way of doing it. And I think it's all, it's also a way that teachers obviously can really identify with as well because that's that's sort of the world that we live in. Um, and I see on your website that you've got a mojo meter. Is that is is, is that a, is that a good place for people to start in terms of just knowing where you are? Because I mean, from what I was hearing, we were chatting just at the beginning. It's kind of understanding where you are in that journey of self-care and understanding who you are within your body and your work-life harmony and balance and that kind of thing. And sometimes it needs someone like you say to, to, to tell you or, or to show you. This is a way of doing that, um, taking responsibility for that yourself.
1: Yeah. You know, when you're in the middle of it all, it's so hard to, to start sorting things out and figure out, you know, where do I start? Because you don't even know maybe where you're going or why you need to go there, but you know you got to do something. So my mojo meter there, I have another one for the music teacher mojo meter, too, that, that go in and they assess some of the big components. And it just asks a series of questions. And then the, the feedback from that is used in my, the different steps of the chapters of the book. Or when I do my coaching program with people, we use their results through their mojo meter and we find what are their strengths and then what are the things that they're struggling with, um, both in professional and personal um, parts of their lives. And then my belief is, because it's always worked for me and the students that I work with, is let's find our strengths and use the strengths to help us work through our weaknesses instead of just working through the weaknesses. So, um, you know, we have and, and to be real clear. Where we're going to. So this, this, these mojo meters help us identify where are our priorities so we know where we're going. <laughs> I've, I, you probably can relate to this. If you go to the grocery store when you're either really hungry or not hungry at all, and you're just going in because you've got nothing at home, you might just wander up and down the aisles and get a bunch of junk, have a high bill, get home and go, I really don't have meals yet. But if you take the time to think through the next couple of days, what you'll be doing, what time, to, what time you'll have for meals to make, jot down what you want to make and what you need to buy. 30 minutes to do that. Then you go into the store. You have a plan. You execute that plan. You get what you need and you go home. And then you can make those meals when the time comes because you've planned them. A mojo meter is like doing that. It's like, let's look at the big picture here first and know what you need to do so you don't waste time. And it just helps focus it um, and jumpstart that process of getting to where you want to be by identifying where you already are. And then you know where you're going
0: yeah and and i love that analogy. i think it's it works really well and, and also i we, we'll know as teachers and um and we were just saying just before we started recording you've got a busy day and 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 a lot going on today it it's not always just about the the idea of balance people talk about life work balance don't they and all that kind of thing because there are some days when it's just going to be full on and busy in the brilliant best possible way and there's also times when you have the opposite it's understanding how that fits in and I think that idea of planning really helps so if you know you've got a busy immediate time coming up because you've got a competition or it's an exam period or whatever it happens to be knowing that you need to then counter that in a different way so that it all lives in harmony I think that can be a really supportive thing to be aware of. so you know that the next week or so might be really trying for you in 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 some ways but actually you can counteract that and, and I think that's a really important thing that people sometimes don't get. They feel like it has to be look a certain way all the time. And in practical terms, that often isn't the case in life.
1: Right. It's really fluid. And there are times, you know, when we're more active with our students because we need to be and other times when we're not. But, um, you know, again, that comes into are you planning your time well? Are you are you. Saying yes to the things that matter so that when you are present with your students it's at, at those extra activities like I'm spending the next 12 hours at our regional solar and ensemble competition and I'm accompanying my students but that's important so I say to those things whereas some other things that come up that don't serve the students as much or serve our program maybe those have to go but then it, you know making those choices based on the clear goals and vision I have for the program and the kids overall help me then understand that when I have a day like today then I go into it with my heart and head ready my my uh, one of my mentors my speech coach who works with me um, had, said a phrase that has fundamentally changed things and he's in my head and it makes it so much easier for me on um, days like today it's his phrase work is love in action and I just say every morning when I get up and I get to walk in my classroom that's what I think now this is my love in action this is my way to serve serve the greater good um here in there's a lot of turmoil in our country right now kids have got to be confused when they see messages you know they, they see adults doing things that seem really weird and stuff and it's confusing and so our job as adults is to be an example and to teach them how to kind of cope with all this
0: yeah absolutely it is purely in terms of, of, of like I say time management understanding and i think that oh, yeah. the, the, the the exactly the way you express yourself through your work in a way that you show up and actually knowing how that is because i think if you've got if you've got that mission statement in your head if you like or, or whatever term it is that you use you know what you're about and and why you're doing it and how it's serving the people that you're you're serving then you can make those decisions much easier than when you just like to say saying yes to everything or not sure when to say no with that clear vision it really does Make a, a big difference and and is that the sort of thing you teach on your your band directors or boot camp I think is it is it that sort of philosophy that really supports them
1: well, yeah, because and I learned this actually from one of my first clients in the group. I kept talking about we're going to get balanced and then she used a different word, and it was like this integration. I'm part of a community, I'm part of a school, my children, my family, we were really in, integrated in and we were vested, we are vested in this too so once I started realizing that, keeping a balance within that, but realizing that um, there's joy in this work. There's joy in it. And so my mindset about it, there there was a time when it became work and it became more obligations. And like I said, at the beginning of this, where I'd start my classes at 6.30 in the morning, and then I'd be at school sometimes till 9.30 or 10 at night after a basketball game, and then be at school the next morning again at 6.30. That's when I the love was lost and it, it started to take such a toll. And that's where I had to, to look and say, Am I doing the right thing for students by keeping them up really late, a couple nights a week, to go play at basketball games and then requiring them to be at school at six something the next morning? And um, so I was yeah, talking about integration of, of our personal and professional lives. And I think that's how I was best able to serve my children of my own and my students.
0: I think the one thing that we can all identify with and and I, and I think the book will really help with that is the fact that when you can identify with the story, then it's very easy to sort of feel supported because you think, yes, I know that's the case, but I think the way you've explained how it can then support you going forward and how you can actually then make the changes. And the, and, and in sometimes it's just the decisions, isn't it, to, to do it differently. You know, what aspect can I change or what thought process can I change that will then help me head in that direction that I'm wanting to do? And like I say, whether it's deciding that you're going to take a yoga class or whether it's deciding that this half an hour of the day, if I can just have that on my own so that I can plan whatever it is I need to plan, whether it's the how I'm going to eat or how I'm going to spend my time or, or how I'm going to make my week look. It's all those little things which add up to be a big life change overall.
1: Yeah, but you're so right. You said it starts with a thought process. That's 90 percent of it, making that commitment. And that's why when I work with clients, you know, I, we, the first thing we do is we get clear on the goal and we make a commitment. And I, I teach uh, the three Cs. If you can picture a music staff, I, I have a bass clef and then I have a low C and a C above that and a C above that. And I, My three Cs that I think are the key to success, change habits, learning a new instrument, building a skill, whatever it is, the three Cs you have to identify when you're doing this are care, clarity, and consistency. You have to do, you know, being a teacher is such an important and all-consuming role at times that if you don't truly care about your mission and the people you're serving, find another job because it's too hard to do and it will it won't be right for you or the kids. So you've got to really care about what it is you're trying to do, whatever it is. You need to have real clarity then about like that shopping list, what I need to pick up. I'm gonna make this meal, so I need these ingredients. You have to have clarity about the meal you're gonna make before you can even figure out what ingredients you need. So that clarity is important. And then that consistency. You have to consistently show up and do the work. Whether that means the the thought changing work where you have to train your brain to think differently, or to practice um, moving your body so that it stops hurting all the time, or to be more mindful of um, behaviors you have out of habit that might not be serving you, like picking up a drink to help yourself calm down, whatever those things are, and consistently coming back to, I'm trying to do this habit, and I need to do it, so that, you know, caring about what you're doing, having clarity about the why and the what, and then consistently showing up and practicing what you're doing until the what you're trying to change becomes the new habit and it's happening on its own and we do that with our students too right absolutely we want to get our students all these things we teach them we want to become habits whether it's a skill how to come into our classroom and to to re, to react and respond in a, in a musical setting during a rehearsal we want to teach them how to build certain skills so we practice those things until they become habit and then we can take the next level Practice that next set of skills, then that habit in their
0: toolbox it gets bigger and bigger. So does ours. And, and, and I love the fact sometimes, I mean, you said it so beautifully there. It's that it's very easy to understand when you hear someone telling you it like that. And it's like, but that's exactly what we need. You know, it makes so much sense when you do that. And like I say, it's very easy for that to suddenly get lost. And, and it's why I hope. Well, I, I'm I'm sure your book will support so many people who are struggling, who really want to make a difference. But I hope that people going into the profession or or certainly involved and. And sort of starting their careers, and I, I'm certainly teachers, and and sort of music specifically, but I, I guess it's across the board really. It just gives you that sense of understanding that and creating the habits to begin with, knowing how it can go wrong, as it were, can then really support people to get in, enjoy what they're doing, serve in the best way that they can, and know that they've got the strength and understanding to to keep that going through the whole length of their career, however that's defined.
1: Yeah, you got to have the stamina to do this and that's the way you do it is to do it you know in a way that keeps you healthy enough that you can continue to serve right because like i was saying music teachers we are that stable one in you know in the kids lives they'll have us for years at a time they'll have other teachers maybe one year but we are that stable adult that can watch them grow from being a young child to developing um not just as musicians but as humans and we can we catch you know when things might not be going well in a kid's life but we might be the first ones to pick up on the red flags because we're with them so i want music teachers to have the stamina to stay in their classrooms so they can be there for the kids but they got to be able to be there for themselves first
0: yeah absolutely that's that, that, that's that's a great point for us to really to really consider as, as we start to wrap up and um, I wish you the great success today because it sounds like you're going to have a wonderful day um, sharing exactly all of these things with, um, with, um, with your students. And t- just as a final comment, you, you mentioned on your website about Carnegie Hall and for many people that will be the epitome of, of, of what being a musician can be or certainly uh, an idea of that kind of thing. Just tell us the story about how Carnegie Hall fits in, into your life and your family's life.
1: Well, back in 2001, I had a student named JJ who is a very accomplished violinist. And so I had him audition for a national youth honor orchestra and he made it and he was gonna perform at Carnegie Hall with them. And I said to my husband, George, we have to go. So we flew to New York and JJ went for the week, a week of residency there with kids from all over the country. And I remember sitting in those red velvet chairs, fourth row back, looking up and I just squeezed my husband's arm and I said, oh my God, can you believe as a teacher, I have a student playing at Carnegie Hall. I never thought that could happen. And then I planted a seed and I was like, why would I just want one student to do that? And so I had a few more students, three more students uh, apply and make it a couple years later. And I went back and watched them and I thought, I got to do better than this. And so I took a recording of one of our concerts and I, without telling my students, because I didn't want to disappoint them if it didn't work. And I found out, how to get the production company Mid America Productions, and I had sent an application and a recording to them and said I'd like to have my students come and play at Carnegie Hall on Memorial Day weekend in 2008. Here's the recording, and then I said a lot of prayers <laughs> 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 and the first day of spring break that year you have to understand i had to wait a whole spring break before i could tell my students. but yeah, wow. i opened an email and there it says leslie Moffat, we have listened to your band's performance um and would like to extend an invitation for you to perform on saturday of memorial day weekend in 2008 at carnegie hall i woke my husband up bright and early screaming and yelling and then i was like oh my god i can't i didn't want it to leak out to anybody because i wanted to look the kids in the eye and tell them about it myself so i uh, uh, it was the longest spring break. I was probably the only teacher on the planet that was counting down to go to, back to school after spring break that year. I was 7 7:30 that morning uh, on that first Monday morning. I was just bursting as I said to the kids, "I need to read an email to you." They didn't even know I had applied. And when I read that to them, it was um, it was exciting and scary and terrifying and enlightened and energizing. And I didn't know where to start, but I said, "You guys, we're going to do this together." the parents, and we all got in, we started raising money, we did the music stuff we needed to do, and uh, have performed now at Carnegie Hall, 2008, 2012, 2016, and I'll be doing it again on May 23rd of 2020. Here's the fun little tidbit I have to share. Um, My dad, of course, is my high school band director, so for each of the first three concerts I did at Carnegie Hall, I had him conduct the opening number. That, to me, was really important, because He's the reason I was there in the first place. But the other cool part is each time we did one of those performances, one of my own daughters was a senior in the band. So my first three performances at Carnegie Hall where I conducted, there were three generations of us from the same family sharing that stage. So that's, it's got a really special place in my heart.
0: Uh, it's such a wonderful thing, and I can I can just feel the excitement through you through you talking about it. It's absolutely wonderful. So, uh it's such a such a fabulous thing, and and thanks so much for sharing that. So, for for people wanting to um to find out more, the book is called "I Love My Job, But It's Killing Me" by Leslie Moffat, and the website is empowerededucator.com dot com, and that's the letter M followed by powerededucator dot com, and you can find out all the things we've been talking about there and more stuff about about Leslie there so Leslie thanks so much for joining me today have a wonderful day um with all your music performing that's going on and um I hope to speak to you very soon.
1: Thanks Mark and for your listeners just to let you know on that website there is a button that says free book they can download an e-copy a free uh electronic copy of that book if they'd like to since uh, your mission and mine are pretty similar I'm pretty sure that some folks listening out there might want to use
0: that. Oh that's fantastic thank you very much I really appreciate that.
1: Of course it was wonderful to be here today thanks.